and labor rights. I'm going to try to avoid an explicit label today. This topic just pisses me off, but I but it went longer than I wanted for a rant cast. This deserves a regular episode, though, because it is important. So let's hop into it. Okay, I'm not a fan of our healthcare system. It's designed to take our money and move it into the pockets of the companies that own the hospitals and medical suppliers. Standard capitalism, right? Now, I'm going to dig deep into our history because if you're like me, you didn't get taught much at all about what happened after Reconstruction. And for anyone overseas, Reconstruction was supposed to be our dismantle the white supremacist governments in the Confederacy. Except in didn't go too well because, guess what, most people in the establishment everywhere were white supremacists. So eventually all the white supremacists decided it was stupid to try to pretend to be anything but white supremacists. The black republicans were replaced by the lily whites, also known as the redeemers, and everyone basically buried the whole thing under a big stinking heap of Jim Crow, phrenology, social Darwinism, and eventually eugenics. Instead, we have, uh, we have had about a century and a half of idiots trying to refight the Civil War, and it seems like nothing is going to stop them from getting their way. Why? I don't know. Apparently, they think that modern warfare grinding the country down to 1800s infrastructure is an excellent way to bring back 1800s thinking. I'm sorry, that was kind of a complicated thing, and I, you know, stumbling over the words. I do that when I'm upset. Part of that 1800s thinking is elimination of workers' rights, along with everyone else's rights. Today, we call it fascism, which is basically just what we had in the U.S. before Mussolini gave us the name for businesses in charge. If you listened to my last podcast on subsidies, you know that our form of government is essentially custom-made by businessmen for businessmen to exploit. They can reach right into our pockets and take out whatever they want, and often without the taxpayers knowing about it until it's too late. We have some history to cover for those who didn't attend school in the U.S., and also for those who did attend school in the U.S., because most places don't talk about this in the way that it actually happened. Way back in the day, there were a lot of poor people in the UK who wanted an opportunity other than being locked into a highly stratified society with little opportunity for advancement. They may have been debtors in workhouses paying off debts, they may have been released from prison and unable to find work, whatever. Basically, you could come to the Crown Colonies in North America for no money up front. Your passage would be paid for by someone else, depending on the exact time and place. Although the specifics of who actually paid whom differed, the result was the same. You would agree to work for whomever for the next seven years. Uh, at least originally, it got longer after a while. At first, once you worked yourself free of debt, you could look forward to a patch of ground for yourself. This seemed like a good deal to a lot of the lower class of the UK. Being a servant was not a bad deal, really. I mean, at the time, servants were protected under UK law from various abuses, and of course they also had rights as, uh, um, under, or under parliamentarian law. But the minute they stepped off the ships in the New World, those rights went right out the window. The colonies were run by corporations under the signature of the Crown, and indentured servants were accorded none of the rights of servants in the UK. For most of them, it was shocking, but hey, the entire world kind of knows what colonialism is all about, right? 
Now, they were at least mostly British at this point, but rights and colonists really only go together as well as the people in charge say they do. They were, there were technically rules about how to treat indentured servants, but they were only enforced when convenient or when something became a public embarrassment. You had to provide some kind of sleeping accommodations, you had to feed them something, had to give them something to drink. You could only beat them so much. Stuff like that. And eventually, if you managed not to do something that triggered an extension like causing a big expense or fighting back against abuse or whatever, what, or whatever was written into a specific contract, you were freed with skills, supposedly, a certain sum of money and possibly tools to make your own living at whatever you were doing as an indentured servant. It wasn't chattel slavery, but it was a foundation for African slavery in the colonies once they realized just how many white people died of diseases outside of New England, and that Africans are a bit hardier against malaria. As things got worse for African slaves, things got, well, basically the same for indentured servants. No real change for them. It still sucked, but it gave the European indentured servants something or someone to look down on, which is sadly how things have largely remained, it seems. Now, this actually left a very bad taste in the mouth of the newly independent United States. They really did not like corporations, having seen just how horrible they could be, which, well, nothing has changed except, the, except that the elites here really like corporations because of how horrible they can be. It seems like we learned the absolute worst lessons from history. Indentured servitude was banned along with slavery after the Civil War except for the punishment of crimes, which is another episode altogether. But a big part of the whole thing is that people only have rights so long as business interests say they have rights. Unions existed in this country since the 1840s. The First Amendment basically guarantees that you have the right to organize. But after Reconstruction, after Reconstruction business owners would just go to court and get the judge to issue an injunction or a court order ordering the workers back to court. And when they refused, the business owners would have the military or the police or the Pinkertons, which is which is still around today as a division of Securitas, and they hate being reminded of this period, even though they exist today to serve the same masters. They would have those people beat and machine gun the workers and, the, and their families. Pitched battles would sometimes be fought quote-unquote riots would break out, which is code for the people being beaten to death fought back. Sometimes hundreds would die. You could be part of union, but you could also be fired for it, and union workers could be, and were, ordered back to work by judges, which basically made them into indentured servants. Now, let's put that in, let's put those orders into proper context. Back in the day, Large companies did not have to pay workers in U.S. dollars. If workers agreed up front, they could be paid in currency created by the company. Generically, it was called scrip. Basically, these companies in particular would be paying you in crypto, and your employer was also the, the exchange. You might also live in company-provided housing, and this housing would be deducted from your pay. You were paid in scrip, and you could only redeem it at the company store. You were locked into that ecosystem, and often the companies would charge more for all this stuff than workers could earn, so you ended up owing debts to your employer. These orders to return to work were often because these specific employers ran their companies in this way, which, I mean, if you're 
if you work for a company that you know is going to order the whoever is around to beat you to death, I mean, yeah, they're gonna <laughs> pretty much gonna suck in every possible way. And uh, so, so these uh, injunctions were essentially orders to pay off the debts um, rather than being legally considered indentured servitude. Which, if you remember right, is what indentured servitude was, by the way. And last weekend, I had a flashback to that time when an idiot in Wisconsin decided that, hey, some workers from one hospital shouldn't be allowed to work at another hospital. If you listen to this and you are American, you've probably heard about it. A particularly dickish company, TheraCare, who already ran off their cardiac care doctors who started their own clinic to get out from under their thumb, managed to piss off their stroke care radiologists. One put in an application at another hospital in the area, Ascension, and he got a real high offer on pay. He went back and told the others he worked with. Six others said, hell yeah, applied, and were also given job offers. Now, this other hospital itself is not known for their high wages. Some others who claim to be familiar with the company say that their staff routinely bails to the Mayo Clinic because the pay sucks at Ascension. If that is the case, you've got to wonder what Theracare has been doing. But, and here's the kicker, they, these radiologists went to Theracare and said, Hey, want to give us a counteroffer to stay? And apparently the counteroffer was a lawsuit, not against them, but against the other hospital. It seems that Theracare is accredited as a stroke treatment center, and that requires having a certain number of people, including specialized radiologists, on duty at all times. Losing seven of them meant dropping below the coverage needed. Rather than trying to fix whatever caused these workers to run off, they pulled an 1800 stunt and went to the course to prevent the workers from leaving. Not from striking, but from being able to work anywhere else, despite having zero contractual obligations to stay. And that is horse hockey. You want employees to stay? You talk with them, not at them, with them. You figure out what it will take to keep them there. Or you deal with the union. That's what more and more workers are doing these days to protect themselves from this kind of abuse. But that would mean acknowledging that these quote-unquote heroes, as we've been calling medical people for the last two years, were somehow equals. And if there is one thing a boss will do anything to avoid, it is treating others like equals. And guess what? The judge agreed. He issued an injunction. Either Ascension couldn't hire them or the... or two of these radiologists had to be loaned back to the place that they just left to preserve that accreditation. Because the business needs of the hospital outweigh the rights of the at-will workers involved. So here's an injunction. And yes, two of you will be back at work. Now thankfully on Monday the judge withdrew the injunction. But here's my question. When can a lawsuit between two businesses prevent seven people from working or order them to work at a particular venue? The seven people were not party to the lawsuit individually or as a group, and there was no contract in place to hold them there. But they were encumbered just the same by the judge. The judge issued the injunction without talking to the workers. They, he just took their care's word that Ascension had poached them, which, if they had, would still have been perfectly legal, and had no regard for the rights of workers at all. I know, big surprise, right? At will, only if it's convenient for the companies. 
at will only if it benefits the community. Because that's what our healthcare companies are there for, to help the communities, right? Not to sit there and suck away the vitality of our communities, confiscating wealth through verbal and written and just assumed contracts when we are all in major pain, incapacitated due to blood loss, or just unconscious. All of it hand-waved away by who else? Judges. And it's been argued in court many, many times before. I was septic, in agony. That makes it duress. I wasn't able to consent to being charged a hundred times market value for things like bandages. Well, guess what? Your ass is owned by the hospitals. Because sooner or later, even if you avoid doctors like the plague, which it turns out is something people don't avoid doing, you're going to collapse. And when you collapse, someone is going to call 911, and they will haul your happy ass off to the ER without your consent. And you will be treated, and there's nothing you can do or say unless you have a DNR on file at that hospital. Hope you have good insurance. Hope they can't get through a loophole around the law that currently bars balance billing in most cases. This is marching down the road back to the 1800s right here. The judge may not have seen it that way, but he's not a worker on the street trying to keep a roof over his head. He's just trying to do his job in giving companies what are screwed up rules of competition between companies say each of them is owed, with some vague language about the community to justify it without any regard for the workers involved. They don't matter in that particular calculus. I'm not saying this judge is a bad man. Well, other than that discipline as a truancy judge for violating constitutional rights, yeah, maybe just a little bad. He probably felt bad about this, but hey, this is Wisconsin and the laws are the laws, right? The terms of the lawsuit and the arguments made by the lawyers are what determine which laws and regulations come into play. Pitch a good legal game and you can make sure the people you don't want to face never get up to bat. And our system rewards it by, con by encouraging narrow consideration of laws. What happens to grown-ass people doesn't matter. A judge can ban them from working, can keep them in the same place, whatever. And if it can happen to one of us, it can happen to any of us. This is why it is important to organize. It's corporation against corporation, or at least legal entity against legal entity in these kinds of actions. We know that in court, legal entities generally fare better than individuals. We've watched law after law being passed regarding this in state after state. You may not like your co-workers, not everybody does, but if your co-workers aren't standing beside you when you're facing a ruling like this, whether they're from your old workplace or your new workplace or even independent of your workplace, because there are unions out there that are not workplace-based, if they're not standing beside you in matters like this, then nobody will be. Now, in this case, the judge tossed the injunction on the next business day because he finally heard from the employees on, the, on this matter. I don't know who brought them in. My guess is probably Ascension, so the workers could tell them that Ascension did not recruit them, but just reacted to the applications they received. This by itself is chilling. If Ascension had, say, put out an ad recruiting for a new imaging center and the, and the workers had responded to that, the judge might have kept the injunction in place, essentially requiring two of them to return to an even more toxic environment than they had already been fleeing. Remember, this is the same hospital that pushed its cardiac surgeons to start up their own practice to get away from the management. 
I'm not asking anyone to take pity on seven specialists who each probably make more than any three people listening to this episode. But look at it for the warning it gives to us as workers. This is very dangerous ground we are treading on here. Every company is one management change away from going from a good company to work for to a nightmare. We workers are mostly highly specialized today, which means that it is harder to replace any one of us, yes, but the number of potential openings for any one of us is likely is likewise smaller, especially if you're not very mobile. Most of us can't work remotely. Some of us can, but many of us cannot, and those who cannot are particularly vulnerable to abusive or dangerous workplaces. It goes beyond just getting a contract with a pay increase and better benefits. It means that if something is wrong, it can be negotiated as a group, as equals with the boss. It means you get to vote on what is acceptable and unacceptable. You may not be in the majority, but you have far better results as a group than as individuals, particularly when it comes to matters of workplace, of workplace safety in a tolerant workplace. Now, I'm a wobbly, and I'm not inclined to approve of contracts. I think it trades too much power away when you agree not to take direct action against the employer and throw everything into mediation. But I also respect that most unions out there are better than having nobody at your side when some judge decides that legal entities are the ones whose rights matter. I know, I know, some some people will disagree with what I have read into the judge's ruling. The injunction lasted only a short time, and he had put a 90-day sunset on it, but 90 days at a place you don't want to work at is 90 days you are forced to work in a place you don't want to work in when you already have another job lined up. And again, I don't argue that the judge thought about it in that context. He's not a worker like you and me. He's a guy who he's a guy who decides the merits of a motion on the basis of what is in front of him. And that's what we want judges to be. If he had taken a minute to consider the rights of workers, he probably would have decided differently. Instead, he did what the laws encourage, which is just consider the positions of the two employers involved in the lawsuit. That means we have to be our own advocates. We have to have that seat at the table. That's all I'm arguing for. Reach out to your co-workers. Set up your defense before you need it. You may never need it. But if you do, you can't afford not to have it. I think I got through all that without all the swearing that's within my soul right now. I'm angry about this. Really angry. And, you know, there's a guy, uh, Liam Anderson, on the podcast, Well, There's Your Problem, which is actually about engineering disasters. And a while ago, he said something that really sparked something in me. It's okay to be angry about things. You should be angry about things, about the system we have and how it is set up to take advantage of us and hurt us for the profit of others. And that's basically my only citation for this episode. And it is one I have internalized because it helped push me to a place where I felt it was okay to take action as well. Part of that action was this podcast. Another part was joining the IWW because I'm self-employed right now and they accept anyone under their very broad definition of worker. I'm signed up for training as an organizer so I can help others who don't have someone in their workplace to help them. I have a Patreon where if people give me money, I share that with strike funds and help fund worker-owned co-ops and cool stuff like that. Most people don't know how to help. They don't have the energy to keep up with all of it, and I understand. Everyone understands. It's draining to keep up with things. 
It's okay to just be a supporter and help enable others who do have the energy and the drive to affect change. And I'm not just talking about myself. There are many others out there doing the same thing. I don't have any particular links for you, so I'm just going to toss some of my favorite podcasts into the show notes. All of them are far better and more interesting than I am. Again, thanks for listening, and I will talk with you next week.